beautiful, wonderful words of life. The beautiful, wonderful words of the word of Almighty God. Is it any wonder that we delve into it with all of our power, all of our might, all of our intellectual understanding? It is truly a beautiful thing. It enriches our lives in so many ways. And it changes them. It changes them from lives of sorrow into lives of joy. Every single day that we live is a blessing from God. It's a blessing to be above the ground. It gives us another chance to share the love of Christ to a suffering world. In the 90th Psalm, on verse 10, we read this. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet it is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon shut off, and we fly away. The days of our years are are our most valuable possession. But how do we waste them? We throw them away on frivolous things. For someone once said, if time be of all things the most precious, then wasting time is the greatest stupidity. We need to think seriously about the days of our years. Listen again to Psalm 90 and verse 10. The days of our years are three score years and ten. And if by reason strength, reason of strength, they be fourscore years, yet it is their strength, labor, and sorrow. For it is soon shut off, and we fly away. We need to really pay attention to that word, soon. Soon. God wants us to know that our lives are very brief, that there's no time, there's no time to wait, to spoil, and to think about things. Just trust in God's word, obey. We know that our lives are very brief and that they are soon cut off. Even if we attain unto three score and ten, and not many of us will, they are soon cut off. Now let's read verse 12. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now may the Lord help us to do some numbering this morning. These precious days with their precious opportunities will soon be gone. They'll be lost forever. Like raindrops. So we need to hoard them. We can do so so much by the right use of our time. If we live out our three score and ten, the ten would be the sum of the Lord's days in that time span. What a great thing to think of ten years of Lord's days spent in worship and service to him. You see, we simply cannot afford to take one of these Lord's days off. Three score and ten, and what is that? It's 70. So once you get past 70, you're in extra time. All that time must be held precious. But none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Doesn't matter how old or how young we are. As we know, there is a vicious monster stalking the land. It has no politics. It does not care about your feelings. It does not think. It just wants to exist And if that means your death, then so be it. We are living in perilous times, but then we've always lived in perilous times. Our lives hang by a thread, and we're all hanging by a thread in so many ways. Not just from cruel, wicked, horrifying diseases of the natural world, but from the wickedness of men and women 
from the wickedness of those who get in a car and ram it into another car and just kill people. Your life can be snuffed out like that. It can happen at any time. So we must always be prepared and be ready to meet our maker. We must not waste our days. James 4 verse 13 to 15 tells us, Go to now that you say today or tomorrow we will, do into such, we will go on to, into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live. And do this or that. Without really thinking about it, we'll talk about what we're going to do tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. But we do not know what a day may bring forth. Jesus told us in Luke twelve twenty, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be? which thou hast provided. We spend our lives looking for things, more and more acquisitions, trying to fill out that hole in our heart. But there's a God-shaped hole in our heart. And it cannot be filled by things. It cannot be filled by possessions. It cannot be filled by ourselves, our own egos, our own selfishness or self-righteousness. It can only be filled by God. We do not know the day or the night or the time when we leave this life and afterwards render an account to him who gave us all of our days. Our Lord said in John 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me. While it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. And what he was implying is that the night of death will soon overtake us. And what a night it will be. If we haven't used our days for the work of the Lord, we will have wasted them. And be cautious that it is for the work of the Lord and not for our own egos, our own sakes, to advance our own causes, for that will be work that is done in vain. It must be all for him. I have found in my ministry that if I'm going to do anything for God, anything for God, It has to be with my whole being, body, soul, spirit, poured right into it. From the top of my head to my big toe, the lot on the fire for God. All of it. Or it will be lost forever. It would be better for us had we not been born than that night should overtake us unprepared, unsaved in the sight of God. One of the saddest verses in all the Holy Bible is found in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20. You might want to turn that in your Bibles and even mark it because it's a good signpost to remember. It's a good memory verse to hold in your thoughts. Jeremiah 8 and verse 20. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are not saved. We are not saved. What a terrible end. If you're not a Christian, a real Christian according to God's word, you need to look ahead to the end of the harvest and to the end of the summer of life 
and in view of it all, accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour. Upon his terms and his terms alone. To repent of your sins. To be baptised for the forgiveness so you can be forgiven of those sins. And then from the watery grave of baptism arise to walk in newness of life. That newness of life found in Christ Jesus. You see, there is no other way. It's as simple as that. It's not the most politically correct thing to say, but we must be biblically correct. There's no other way to heaven except Jesus Christ. If you're not saved according to God's word, every bit of it, then when you stand before him on judgment day, you will be cast into the lake of fire. If you're not in Jesus Christ, you're out. Hell is a very real place, for the Lord Jesus told us so. It is a place that none of us want to go that we would not wish upon our worst enemies. When you think about all the days of your life, they would be as nothing compared to eternity. Compare all the days of your life to a grain of sand upon the seashore. All those days, just one grain of sand. If you were to count all those days to every grain of sand on the face of the planet Earth, that wouldn't even be the beginning of eternity. Yes, This is a very serious business. For we will be judged according to Christ's standards. And not our own. It's what the Bible says. It's what Jesus tells us. And his apostles. And I believe him. Because he tells us these things in love. That the days you spend in the service of the king, and he is the king, are sweet days. And in the end, will be an everlasting life with him. An everlasting life of peace and joy and love. Number one, it is an honor to serve the king of kings. There's nothing better. There's nothing greater. There's nothing that can be taken instead of it. Nothing is as good. Number two, it is an honor to receive persecution for him. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now the devil tries to persuade so many that there's plenty of time. Plenty of time. I know of some people in the world and they have this attitude. I'm going to wait until I see Jesus coming on the clouds. And then I'm going to repent of my sins. Then I'm going to do it. Then I'm going to stop living like the devil. I know some people who go to church and they're good Christians for a few hours. And yet afterwards, oh, they live like the devil. Oh boy, do they live like the devil. God sees the heart of the person. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like being in a coop does not make you a chicken. It's a simple fact. Church is one aspect. And coming here and worshipping God is one aspect of the Christian life. But it's not all of it. Christ, God, is not just for a few hours of the week. We must live Him. Live the Christian life. In every way of our being. And that includes having compassion and empathy and love. Real practical care for other human beings. Things that are evident. But these are things the devil doesn't want you to see. 
He doesn't want you to know. He tries to persuade you that there's plenty of time. And it doesn't matter what you're going to do. And it doesn't matter what church you go to. And it doesn't matter what religion you're raised in. God's just going to let you right on in because God is a merciful God. Yes, God is a merciful God. But he is a just God. He is just. He is compassionate. And the fact is there is not plenty of time to get right with the living God. The devil is a liar and he is the father of lies. And this is one of his diabolical lies that there's plenty of time. My friends, we're not on a ship that is slowly sinking and there's plenty of time to get to the boats. We're in a building that's on fire and there's no time. There is not enough time yet. Our time is short. God has promised to save you when? Now. Right now. Not next week, not next year, but right now. There's some striking language addressed to Christians in Romans 13 and verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of, the, out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. Our salvation is much nearer than when we first believed, my friends. Some of us first believed many years ago and obeyed the gospel and were baptized so they could be forgiven of their sins. Some have traced after their Lord, living the Christian life, knowing that the Christian journey does not end when we're baptized. This is just the beginning. Your ticket is not punched. But we do know that our salvation draws near. And how near? Who knows? Not the false prophets that you see on television asking you to send them the latest amount of check or money for, for the, the time and to say God's coming, which is next Wednesday or the Wednesday after. No. We better be ready. We better be ready. Because as we are when we pass from this world to the next, that is how we will be judged. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. I'm afraid that far too many of us are not fearful enough of God. We seem to be too easily satisfied with whatever we have here on earth. We're not going to be saved in droves. We're not going to be saved by families by nationality, by birth, by the colour of our skin, by our politics. We are not going to be saved by congregations. God is going to judge every single person, every person individually, every single person's work. Not every family's work, not every congregation's work, but every person's work. Our belief in God, our obedience to him, and becoming a Christian is not a second-hand thing. It is not something that we inherit from our parents. It is something that must be first-hand. It must be ours and ours alone. Every other member of the family may be a good Christian, but that will not save us. So what are we? Are we saved according to God's word? Are we living a Christian life full of practical care and love and compassion? Of empathy with other human beings? Be they Christians or not. We're to be filled with empathy and love. 
We're to be filled with the truth. We're to stand steadfast in that truth. Even when it's unpopular in the world. Remember they murdered our Lord for standing for the truth. They're murdering Christians today for standing for the truth of God's word. My friends, that's good company to be in. Every other member of the congregation may be a good member, but what are we? Conversely, every other member of the family may be anything but a Christian, but if you are faithful to the Lord, you will be safe. Faithful to the Lord, his words, his work, his example, not ourselves. Now, even if every other member of the congregation were a hypocrite, you can be saved by loving, humble obedience to Almighty God. Salvation is an individual something and has an individual quality about it. All the hypocrites on earth and all the demons in hell cannot keep a Christian out of heaven. All the self-righteous pride of the wicked or the dedicated belief of the infidel will not get him into heaven or spare him from the lake of fire. This is what the Bible teaches. You see how important it is. There's no time for for messing about, for playing about. We obey immediately, we listen immediately, and we continue to follow after our master. When Jesus told us to follow him, he meant it. Follow him. His teachings his ways. The Holy Bible tells us that we're living in perilous times. But then haven't we always lived in perilous times? Satan is still at work in the world today. Evil is still at work in the world today. Persecution is still at work in the world today. Make no mistake, we're in a war. There may be no other passage that describes today's world so well as 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. And please open your Bibles and follow along. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. This know also that in the last days, and please understand, the last days started at Pentecost. Almost 2,000 years ago. It didn't start just 50 or 100 years ago. It didn't start with the result of the last election. The last days have been around for a long, long time. But these are the last days. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous. Boasters. Proud. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. You could have sworn Peter was reading today's newspaper, couldn't you? People are so proud of their sin. 
They fly it about the place. They're so proud of their sin. And when the Bible says that it's wrong, they curse God. People are so proud of themselves. They're so full of self-love. They never stop to think about God. What would the apostles do? What would the early Christians have done? They were true to God. They were loyal to their king. They followed their master. They suffered. They died. Those that survived kept spreading the gospel, kept spreading the good news to the four corners of the world, and it has not stopped. Neither has the opposition, and that opposition will not stop. You know you're doing something right when the devil's out to get you. Has there ever been a time when there was more disobedience to parents? The children almost ruled the parents instead of the parents ruling the children. And so many are unthankful. They're so full of entitlement. And they're so confident in the things that they think they know. They're so full of, I have a right to this, I have a right to that. My friends, as Christians... We of all people who are the ransomed from the sinners of the world, sinners ourselves still, should know and be fully aware that we are but beggars at the foot of the cross and we have no place for pride in our hearts of, oh Lord, how great we art. For it's how great he is, not how great we are. And we should be ever thankful to him. Our heads bowed in godly sorrow. People say there's no such thing as holy water. I disagree. There's the holy water of the tears of repentance. Have we shed those tears of repentance before God for the wrongs that we have done? Are we aware that it is only by the grace of Almighty God that we will ever enter into heaven and escape the eternal flames of hellfire? So many are unthankful to God. They're unthankful for the things that they have. There are people this morning who are just waiting for servants of the devil to come in and put them to death just for being faithful Christians, for having a Bible in their hands, for reciting the word of God. How thankful we should be to be able to gather together here, to have a Bible, this precious thing in our homes. Many of us have more than one. We don't know how blessedly, how blessed we are. We truly are. We should be thinking of our brothers and sisters who are suffering so terribly and doing whatever we can to help them in prayer and in practice. For there, but for the grace of God, go we. Do not think it cannot happen here. The seeds have already been planted. But we must be faithful to God in all of our ways. God is so good, isn't he? He's so good in giving us such rich blessings. But how many of us are truly thankful for this? Do we appreciate all that we have? Or do we, like the spoiled brats of the world, 
think that we're entitled to it because of who we are. I think that attitude is shameful. And I do not think that will stand in the face of a holy God. Men are at the throats of others instead of on their knees in thanksgiving to God. And thanksgiving for all of his wonderful blessings. And unholiness is rampant. With natural affection becoming more rare as the days go by. And the really good are despised. And sometimes despised by those who even profess to be good. But traitors are in our midst at every hand. Brethren even betray brethren. And so many are proud and high-minded. The world, including many church members, are pleasure crazy. They think that if they have a great wealth, it's because God has blessed them specifically. Well, God has. We are blessed with great wealth in order to share it with others. We are blessed with mouths so that we can pray, with knees so that we can bow, with, ha- with hearts so that we can place upon it King Jesus and remove ourselves from it. The pleasures of this world are fleeting. And they will pass swiftly. If you remember Moses who was prince of Egypt. Had everything. 40 years of his life. He had anything and everything. At the, at the touch of his fingertips. To be a prince in Egypt. Was like being a rock star. Or, or a god and a king. All rolled into one. But he did not think those pleasures enough. To keep him in Egypt. And keep him away from God. For the pleasures in God are eternal. Men and boys and women and girls are physically and morally ruined by the so-called pleasures of this world. These pleasures often take us away from what we should be doing, what we could be doing, what we must be doing. Let us not forget God in our lives. Not for one minute. There are some members even of the church who will stand in the hot sun or the wintry cold to watch a ball game. But they'll absent themselves from Sunday morning and evening worship and midweek Bible study. And if they are there, complain if a sermon goes on about 30 minutes. Or doubly complain if a lesson is is aimed at modern sins and ungodliness. Yes, indeed, we are living in perilous times. But how the words of Jesus offended the sinner. They were designed to. And it was not done in hate, it was done in love. So that they would repent, they would turn around. Remember in the Holy Bible it says quite clearly. That we are to repent of our sins. The idea of repentance comes from the Hebrew concept Beth Shin. Beth Shin means burn the house of sin to the ground. Burn it down, turn it to ashes. Sometimes sin is a family tradition. You don't have to carry that tradition on. You can let it go. You don't have to define yourself by who you're told to hate. What you're told to hate and what you're told to love. You can decide for yourself because it is a personal decision. It's a personal decision to follow Christ. Call yourself a Christian and justify hating another person. You can hate their sin. You should hate their sin because of what it's doing to them. It's separating them from God. 
And every day they're separated from God is another day closer to the grave. It's another day closer to being lost for all eternity. It's another day closer to facing Christ and being rejected. That is a terrifying thought. But the Bible says that will happen to many. And it will even happen to those that said that they were Christians. And he will say to them, I did not know you. I did not know you. Now for me, that verse has been a defining moment in my life. Because I made sure, and I'm still making sure, that that will not happen. And we need to work at it. We need to strive at it. We need to all remember the prayer delivered to God in Psalm 31, verses 15 to 18. And make it even our own. That's Psalm 31, verses 15 to 18. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Let me not be ashamed. O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed, and let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Let us turn our problems, our sorrows over to God. Let us grow in Christ according to his word, implementing the law of Christ in our life. Remember the golden rule is to love God with all our heart, all our strength, all our mind, and to love our brother as ourselves, to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's the golden rule, not he who has the gold rules. That's not the golden rule. For all that will have to be left behind someday and taken by another. All we have is what we brought into this world when we leave it. And what we have is the gift of God, our very souls. Will our souls be dedicated to God? Will we send our treasure on ahead to heaven by our actions and our works done to glorify God, to shine light upon the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the thrice holy God of the fourfold gospel, the one true God is revealed in the Bible. Our days are terribly short and many of us have come so close to losing our lives. Our time is running out. For those of you who may be upset at a sermon going beyond 30 minutes, we're at 30 minutes 50 seconds now. We're still going. But I'll end it soon. But we're 30 minutes 57 seconds closer to when we're going to meet Jesus. To when our lives are going to end. You need to get right with God while yet you may. Not tomorrow. Not next week. But now. Right now. Because Jesus is coming. We don't know the day nor the hour or the time. We just know he's coming. I believe him. Christ is no liar. Christ is judge. And we will be judged according to his standards and not the standards of our own hearts or our own morality. His morality is what counts. In Mark 16, 16, the Lord Jesus Christ said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. 
Those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. What Jesus says goes. Those are our marching orders. And they are not negotiable. No matter what time, no matter what age we may be living in. No matter how they may or may not upset the world. For remember, it is better to offend men by telling them the truth than to offend God. And it is better to tell them the truth so that when they turn to you on judgment day, they cannot say, you never told me. You should have told me. We are the watchers at the gate and we are charged by our king to call out the warning. Get yourselves into Christ right now if you're not there. These are the days of our lives. They're running out. Make sure that when you die, you run into the arms of Jesus. If you're not a Christian this morning, I beg you with all my heart and soul that you get right with God according to his word, according to his way. And if you are a Christian this day and you need our prayers, our help for anything, we're here for you as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you.